0: Hello, my praying people. I hope that this podcast finds you doing well. I recently completed a blog post that I want to encourage you to go and read. It's part two of how to um, how to use the spiritual authority that we have. I think I titled it um, Spiritual Authority and How to Use It. and I wrote a part one and a part two on my blog that um, lives at leannemccoy.com. And in that blog post, I share three things that I think are very, very um, powerful for us to embrace with our heads and our hearts. I'm not gonna tell you what they are. I'm gonna let you go to the blog post and read them. But anyway, that's good content and context For what I'm going to be sharing with you today in this podcast, to um, sort of maybe wrap up this conversation we've been having about spiritual warfare and um, spiritual authority, I'm going to share from the chapter in my book, um, Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. The chapter I wrote there talking about how to use the spiritual authority that is ours. So hope that you um, enjoy this. I'll um, be moving from sharing in this way on the podcast for a little bit into doing some more interviews and visiting with some other people. So I'm looking forward to you being able to um, listen in on, on those. And I know that when you meet these great people of prayer, you're going to gain so much from it. So anyway, just encouraging you to share this podcast. Please take the time to um, give us a a rating and um, to comment and then also to share the podcast with your friends. In this podcast, I want to give you a simple three-step process to exercising spiritual authority on the battlefields of your life. Now, you understand, let me preface this by reminding us what um, spiritual warfare is all about. Spiritual warfare is us allowing the power and presence of God to impact the ordinary things going on in our lives or the extraordinary things going on in our lives. Let me clarify that spiritual warfare is not just anything that brings you grief, and um, challenges your faith. Those are just circumstances that happen in life. The warfare is the challenge to your faith. Don't forget that the battle is is simply Satan, who continues to um, rule over this present darkness, he is out to profane the name of the Lord. He's out to distort the name of the Lord, to hide God's goodness from people, to um, separate and keep people separated from the love of God. That's what he's out to do. So Satan is is um, what is it going to and fro all over the earth to seek whom he can devour, so that he can cast shadows on the name of God, distort it, and um, hide truth from people. So the the purpose of the Lord in the spiritual warfare is to proclaim his name. He, he wants to establish himself and, and be fully um, exposed for who he is in the world today. And the way, of course, he does that is through his people. We are the presence of Christ in the world today, and that, of course, only happens when we are yielded to Him and we're living according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So, in saying all of that, (laughs) this three-step process to exercising our spiritual authority has a whole lot to do with um, the exact opposite of what you would think you would do In order to win your spiritual battles. So I'm going to share these three steps with you. Step one. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow Jesus. Jesus himself said this to all of his disciples. To anybody that was listening. He said if anyone. Anyone desires to come after me. Anyone means anyone. It's not exclusive. It's not only for these ones or those ones. Jesus said if anyone desires to come after me. Let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. So what did Jesus mean when he said that we should take up our cross daily, deny ourselves and follow him? Well, I think he basically meant exactly what he was saying. And that was that when push comes to shove and the devil comes along in our lives through the circumstances that are happening around us, and he begins to challenge our faith in God, we choose to shut our eyes to what's going on around us and instead lean into what we have anchored our lives to and that's the truth of the goodness of God i um i want to introduce you to probably the most profound teaching that i have come across in understanding how to exercise our spiritual authority and that is this Prayer of Relinquishment, it's called. And I was first introduced to it by Richard Foster. And this is what he writes about the prayer of relinquishment. As we are learning to pray, we discover an interesting progression. In the beginning, our will is in struggle with God's will. We beg, we pout, we demand. We expect God to perform like a magician or shower us with blessings like Father Christmas. We major in instant solutions and manipulative prayers. In time, however, we begin to enter into a grace-filled releasing of our will and a flowing into the will of the Father. It's the prayer of relinquishment that moves us from the struggling to the releasing. I know that if you're listening to my podcast and want to learn more about what it means to win your spiritual battles and to develop your prayer life to be successful, that you have no doubt had ample opportunity to be stretched in your faith. You've had more than one um, situation or circumstance in your life that has created a, a tussle between you and God. Many times I have shared with people that I can identify way more with Jacob who wrestled with God than I can identify with Abraham who heard God say, go and off he went. (laughs) And I, it's in the wrestling seasons of my life that I've grown, um, deeper in my understanding of, um, the mystery of God. Absolutely but also um, the love and the faithfulness and the goodness and, um, and the depth of the power of God. And so if you're listening, I want you to think about a season of your life where you had the hardest time believing that God's word was true. You had the hardest time believing that it was going to turn out okay. My first season that I remember was when I was infertile. I, um, My husband and I moved here to Thompson Station, Tennessee, and we had gotten married when we were halfway through graduate school, and um, as soon as we moved here, I was so eager and ready to start the phase of being parents and having babies and just becoming a family as we were building our little congregation, and... Um, When most everything that had happened in my life had come right along on schedule, being able to get pregnant did not. And after several years of um, begging and pleading and and whining and, and trying to manipulate, maneuver God and do this just right and that just right, I finally came to a place where I realized that I had no control over this situation and that only God could answer my prayer. And if he chose to do so, then he was good. But if he didn't choose to do so, he was also good. And he challenged me in what was a messy prayer journey for me to come to a place where I was willing to lay down my desire for a baby. And I remember finally getting to that place. And I remember also just the lift in my spirit that came after I finally let it go. I just took my hands off of it and I said, be it as it may, you're God, you're good. I'm sold out to you. I'm serving you with or without these babies. I am, I'm in, I'm in all the way. I was sharing with my sister Sharon, my older sister, that um, this release had happened in me and I was kind of excited as I shared with her. I said, just imagine how how God could use me now to really just teach people how powerful it is to just give our all to Jesus and be good with Him, even if we don't get what we're asking for. And I'll never forget her response. She smiled and she said, Leanne, I think that's really good that you've released your desire and you feel like you're not wrestling with God anymore. She said, but I think it just stinks if God doesn't give you a baby because can you imagine spending your whole life telling people that God's not going to answer their prayers? (laughs) And I kind of laugh. I laugh even now remembering that because deep down inside, on the other side of I've given it all to Jesus, I was still really wishing that he would give me (laughs) a baby. And it really wasn't, but three months later after we had that conversation that um, I discovered that I was indeed pregnant with my first child, and she just turned 30 last week. And in the next three years after she came along, I had two other children, another daughter and a son. And on the other side of that, I remember um, every time I had opportunity to give testimony, I shared how God did exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ask or imagine by giving me two daughters and a son, after that season of infertility. But nonetheless, the relinquishing of that desire was critical in my spiritual journey. And you could say perhaps um, that battle was won. And I do believe that battle was won because instead of denying God or turning away from God because he wasn't delivering what I wanted him to deliver in the time frame that I wanted him to deliver it, Um, I just pressed in. I pressed in and I was like Jacob and I said, I'm not letting go. I'm not going to turn loose until you bless me. And God blessed me with the understanding that he's God and I'm not. And that he's good, even if I don't think so at at certain times. So that prayer of relinquishment continued to follow me throughout my life. And I want to read to you what Catherine Marshall says about the prayer of relinquishment. And then I'll share another um, time in my life when I had to exercise it in this way. Catherine Marshall wrote that fear is like a screen erected between us and God so that his power cannot get through to us. So how does one get rid of fear? This is not easy when what we want most is involved. At such times, every emotion, every passion is tied up in the dread that what we fear is about to come upon us. Obviously, only drastic measures can deal with such a gigantic fear and the demanding spirit that usually goes along with it. Trying to deal with it by repeating faith affirmations is not drastic enough. So, then we are squarely up against the law of relinquishment. In God's eyes, fear is evil because it's an acting out of a lack of trust in Him. Jesus is saying, admit the possibility of what you fear most, force yourself to walk up to the fear, look it full in the face, never forgetting that God and His power are still the supreme reality, and the fear evaporates. Drastic? Yes. That is one sure way of releasing prayer power into human affairs. I'm taking um, some of these quotes and all out of my book, Spiritual Warfare for Your Family, that I was writing in, in um, a season of my life when my daughter, the, the answer to prayer daughter, <laughs> my eldest, was in um, a relationship that was extremely toxic and had become violent. And in that relationship, I finally got to the place, and it was more than just a few years. It was several years of this season of our lives. And I'd finally gotten to the place where she was an adult and she could make her choices, but where my heart had so much fear wrapped up and anxiety was over what this was doing to my grandchildren. And um, I remember when I read that uh, that comment about fear being sin, basically by Catherine Marshall, my, my gut response was, but you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Like I'm watching innocent little children be in a terrible situation. That's going to have an effect on their lives. And I'm looking at God saying, this cannot be so like this, this is going in stark contrast to every promise you've ever made me. And I do remember having to come to a place and it is messy. I'm telling you guys, this is, this is not like, Ooh, it's pretty. And I sit down and I read my Bible and I write these beautiful prayers. It's not like that. It's like a messy struggle. And in that place of messiness, I had to face my fear. And that was that these children would be forever caught in this horrible cycle of abuse And I had to acknowledge that that was what I was afraid of. And then I looked at God, who seemingly wasn't doing a thing about it. (laughs) And I chose to hand that possibility to Him. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason I was able to do that is because the character of God, as um, explained to us in His Word, And as played out in our lives as we walk with him, the character of God has always been goodness, has always been faithfulness, has always been gracious, merciful, kind, long suffering, all of these things that he has always been. And I was able to let go of those grandchildren in that situation because I chose to lean into the character of God, even though I didn't see it happening right then at that time. In time, several months after I had um, gone to this place of relinquishment, and I mean a lot, probably like six months later, God moved the mountain, and my daughter came out of that toxic relationship. And over the years, I've gotten to see God um, just be all of who He is. And so I prayed that prayer of relinquishment. I acknowledged my fear. I gave it to God, and He certainly came through for me. So um, this part of praying that prayer of relinquishment is to accept what is with the confidence that God is able to change it at any time. Catherine Marshall wrote this also in reference to to Jesus' prayer of relinquishment. Jesus prayed in the garden before his crucifixion, Dear Father, all things are possible to you. Please let me not have to drink this cup. Yet it's not what I want, but what you want. Mark 14, 36. She goes on to say, The prayer was not answered as the human Jesus wished, yet power has been flowing from his cross ever since. Even when Christ was bowing to the possibility of death by crucifixion, he never forgot either the presence or the power of God. The prayer of relinquishment must not be interpreted negatively. It does not let us lie down in the dust of a godless universe and steal ourselves for the worst. Rather, it says, this is my situation at the moment. I'll face the reality of it, but I'll also accept willingly whatever a loving father sends. Acceptance, therefore, never slams the door on hope. But acceptance, my friends, is also equally never demanding of a holy, perfect, and righteous Heavenly Father. Acceptance keeps you connected with God in spite of what His wisdom and love have allowed in your life. Right now, I'm in a season of being challenged to pray this prayer of relinquishment and um I totally believe that if God is not doing what it seems like God ought to be doing, (laughs) then He's got a very, very good reason for not doing so. And I also believe that God trusts many of His followers with um, the stewardship of pain and suffering. And when He trusts us with that, He's going to not only give us the strength to, um, walk humbly under and in the midst of our burdens, but he's also going to demonstrate who he genuinely is in time on the platform of our lives. Now, I'd, I'd be wrong if I didn't say to you that sometimes the things that we release and relinquish to him, um, Never come back to us the way we want them to. In fact, seven years ago yesterday, my sister Sharon died after a short battle with cancer. Short being, um, I think, almost two years. And along the way, my mother went with her to all the doctor's appointments, to all the procedures, to all the things that the doctors were doing to try to um, fight a battle against this cancer. And every time my mom would be with my sister and they'd get a report that was not good, my mother would say to me, Leanne, I choose to trust God. And I either have to trust Him with all of it or I'm not trusting Him at all. And my mom walked like a mighty warrior through that entire battle. My sister did too. And you know what was so beautiful about the way that all culminated is that my mother and my father and my sister All refused to give the devil his due, (laughs) even though my sister died. You see, death was not the end of Sharon. Death was not Satan's victory in her life. Because the closer she got to the end of her life here on earth, the more beautiful her soul became. And the more peace um, she demonstrated that she had, and the more eager she was, to get on to the life that's eternal. And I just think that some of us need to be reminded of that, that Jesus came and died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to die. And still our bodies, our bodies leave this physical realm. We shed the body because the body keeps us um, connected to all of this. And God um, mercifully releases us from all of this and takes us to heaven to live with him in a spiritual place that has no tears and no suffering and no doubt and no no insecurities and all of the things, all the stuff that keeps this world from being all that God wanted it to be is no more. We get to go and live with him forever. So I just wanted to share about um, how Jesus's prayer was not answered the way he wanted, and neither was my mom's. Nonetheless, they still had victory, and tremendous victory, on the other side. Richard Foster also says this, The prayer of relinquishment is a bona fide letting go, but it's also a release with hope. We have no fatalist resignation. We are buoyed up by a confident trust in the character of God. Even when all we see are the tangled threads on the backside of life's tapestry— We know that God is good and is out to do us good always. That gives us hope to believe that we are the winners regardless of what we are being called upon to relinquish. God is inviting us deeper in and higher up. There's training in righteousness, transforming power, new joys, deeper intimacy. Sometimes the very thing we relinquish is given back to us. This does not always happen, of course. There are times when the release is permanent, and at such times we are to trust in the wisdom of God And ask for the grace to rest in his peace. A settled peace, in fact, is the most frequent experience of those who have trod the path of relinquishment. Some of the most beautiful people I've met and the most radiant faces I've gotten to gaze into are those of um, people that have lived 80, 90, 70, 80, 90 years of life. And they can smile and say to me, God has not failed me yet, nor will he ever. So this step one to exercising our spiritual authority is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Step two is to obey God's word. You see, Jesus said that whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. My friends, obedience is trust in action as we align our lives with the moral um, directive that is given to us in God's word, as we um, measure our standard by the standard that he's given us and as we yield ourselves to him and desire to align with him, then he knows that we're all on the same page. He sees that we are believing not just in word only, but also in deed. And as we obey God's word, He gives us more insight and more understanding of his word. It's when we decide to disobey God's word that the devil finds um, a a chink in our armor and he begins to move in on that place. At any point that we decide we know better than God how we want to live our lives and we willfully uh, choose to disalign with him, then um, we are more prone and more vulnerable to being deceived. And once we're deceived in a little place, that deception can grow and fester and begin to darken us and our understanding in larger places. Some people lose so much of their connection with God because of their desire to be freed from the burden of fighting flesh and freed of having to live contrary to what is popular in our world today, that they then pick up God's Word to read it. And it doesn't make any sense to them anymore. And that's because God's Word is living and active, and it's activated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because they have shut out or chosen to ignore and press back the power of the Spirit, the Spirit honors their choice, and they no longer have the enlightenment that they once had when they read God's word. So I go into that to explain to you why that, why you see that happening. Somebody that might have been a, a, a Sunday school teacher at one time, a life group leader, and now they're they're no longer um, even following after God. All of that you might could point it back to one time when in one area they decided to live contrary and disobedience to God's word. You see, if we choose to obey God's word and grow in our obedience to God's word, this obedience is the way to open the floodgate of God's authority and power so that you get to be an eyewitness to its unstoppable current as it gushes right through the millions of evil spirits that hover over the earth and many of them that come and try to antagonize you. You see, the demonic is chomping at its bit to get a chance to have at you. And as you are obedient, you press them aside. (laughs) It's just your childlike obedience to the goodness of your father. Oh, how sweet it is. You know, preschoolers have such, such a sweetness to them when they choose to trust the people that they love. And you remember when your husband in your children's eyes could do no wrong? I mean, you know, he was all that. And I hope that you had a husband and a father of your children that was good, that is good, that loves them very much, as flawed as he is as a human being. But I think when Jesus said we needed to be like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about that childlike trust that hasn't been um, been injured by sin in the world and how we can look to him and we really can look to him because he is a good father. And how we can trust Him no matter what's going on. And when He says walk this way, we choose to walk that way even if our flesh wanted to go the other way. Because we, we want to be what He's about. And we, we choose to trust Him even when it's hard. So number two is obey God's Word. Number one was deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. That was that prayer of relinquishment. Number two is obey God's Word. And number three is embrace humility. You see, Jesus told us that spiritual authority was ours, and He showed us how to exercise that authority. Jesus won the ultimate battle that that won the war when he denied himself, took up his own cross, and followed his Father. And then also when he chose the Lord God Almighty, the divine creator of the universe, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, chose to humble himself to the point of death on the cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 say it this way. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus clothed himself with humility. Then he defeated the devil. He destroyed death. He broke the chains of sin. And he set sinners free. Jesus exercised spiritual authority by making himself nothing. My friends, you win your battles when your attitude is the same as Christ's. Embrace. Humility. I don't know about you, but I'd rather do a hundred crunches than have to give up the offenses that I want to carry. I want to rise up in power and open my mouth and watch my enemies scatter. I want to declare them. I want to declare them (laughs) in loud voices. But the supreme ruler of the universe tells me sometimes to sit down and be quiet. He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. When we willingly step aside from the flesh and stop trying to control our circumstances, carry out biblical directives, all the while that the enemy continues to spit and spew in our direction, when we do that, we will experience sound victory. And we will know That the battles that we are fighting were won in the name of Jesus and by nothing other than the power that is in the blood of the Lamb. I want to wrap this up by letting you know that exercising spiritual authority is simple really, but not easy. If you begin with the dying, the rest will amazingly fall into place. I want to remind you that spiritual authority belongs to God. And it's His to give to whomever He pleases. He will release spiritual authority to you when you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. You access spiritual authority over the darkness when you live your life in obedience to the commands of Christ. And you exercise spiritual authority that breaks bondages when you embrace humility and make yourself nothing. It's simple. It's doable. And when you do these things, you'll be amazed at how the demons will scatter. Thank you for listening to the prayer clinic podcast today. I so enjoyed revisiting the subject of spiritual warfare. It has really become one of my favorites because you know that I believe that prayer is warfare. And so when we're praying, we're doing battle. And it is my passion to teach people how to pray so that God can be glorified so that we can profane the name of the Lord (laughs) in our world today. And it's also my passion that our churches are houses of prayer. And I know as a prayer leader for many years at my church, how lonely that task can be. And so if you are the prayer leader at your church, I want to encourage you to exhort you to come over to my website, the prayer prayerclinic.com. It's just www.prayerclinic.com, where you can learn more about a really exciting ministry of prayer and community of prayer leaders that I want to invite you to be a part of. I'm on a mission to mobilize our churches to pray. Jesus went into the temple when it was not being what He wanted it to be, and He said, it was my Father's intent that these gathering places, that my house would be a house of prayer for all the nations. My friends, I cannot even begin to imagine what impact it would have on our world today if our houses were houses of prayer. If at every single church, our people are all equipped and eager and, and passionate about the privilege we have of praying so Anyway, you can tell I'm pretty serious about this and I'd love, love, love to connect with you and, um, and discuss with you how we can amp up the prayer ministry at your church. So I want to encourage you again to go to prayerclinic.com to learn more about my ongoing ministry of prayer, specifically toward our churches and then also toward individuals. Thank you again for listening today. I look forward to being with you again next week on the prayer clinic podcast.